Hey, and welcome to Deeper Than Data, the podcast where we get to know the scientists deeper than their science to find out they also have an entrepreneurial mindset and enjoy off-roading. Or that they think you didn't really celebrate the 4th of July in the US unless you are somewhat constipated from the copious amount of meat you consumed. Maybe the last one is just me, your host, Ben Rush. Up top, as you may have noticed, we switched to releasing episodes on Wednesdays. This will help our marketing on social media and also declutter your long list of new episodes that drop usually on Mondays. Consider sharing this podcast with a science lover in your life. I've been told this podcast is helpful and therapeutic for those in science, and for those who just love science, the podcast just leaves you feeling really good. We're a small but mighty crew putting this together, so sharing with another person really does help a long way, especially in the early life of this podcast. Okay, for this episode, we're talking to an entrepreneurial scientist. We're getting out of academia for a bit. Woohoo! I met our guests in seventh grade at the combination middle school and high school we went to called Walnut Hills High School in Cincinnati, Ohio. We graduated high school in 2009 together, so we're going to reminisce a bit, but nothing that will drive you bonkers. So, let's all wash our hands with hot water to give the warmest, cleanest welcome to our entrepreneurial scientist, Courtney Lawrence. Courtney, thanks for joining me on Deeper Than Data. How are you? Good. How are you, Ben? I'm doing great. I'm happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> you are the first person that I've known since maybe seventh grade or so. Yes. So we, we can get into that. I'm curious uh, what you have thought of me like growing up. So for the fans, <laughs> for like the 30 fans who yeah, actually want to know yeah. that. <laughs> Um, but to start, I will ask you your names and the, your pronouns that you like. Oh, I'm a she, her, her, she, yeah, and Courtney. Do you have a last name? Lawrence, I do have a last name. <laughs> and next, I always ask everyone uh, to please give a physical description of yourself. Okay, I am a um, African-American woman living in... About five four, with curly hair. Very nice. Any other identities you like to highlight about yourself? Um, I'm a the Midwestern heterosexual female. And what is your job in relationship to science? I'm a chemical analyst working um, here in Cincinnati, Ohio. And my relationship to science, I've been probably dealing with science since I've been little. So this will be an interesting conversation. <laughs> Cool. Awesome. Yeah, we can dive into that. And you have a very interesting relationship to science, too, different than other guests previously, because you are running a business. That's and correct. So could you tell us a little bit about your business, maybe about two minutes or so? Yeah. So I am the founder and um, owner of Minor Obsession, which is a soap brand that I created on my own that started about 2018, that started from my own research, um, dealing with different products. And I wanted to, if I thought about a product line, I would start myself. I want something I can make on my own and dealing with soap making, which a lot of people don't know, it's almost like a chemical formula in itself. So it's like, if you're building a formula, it's like 
oils plus lye equals soap and the different um, molecular formulas of that. So it's been exciting since then and um, can't wait to share more about it. Fantastic. Yeah, and we'll get there. But first, we have to go back to the very beginning when you're talking about, you know, first starting getting into science. I do this by asking people, who was your first crush? Oh, my gosh. First crush. I don't even know what that even means. If I can go back to being a child, my first crush, if anybody is from the 90s, my favorite movie is The Sandlot. My first crush was Benny the Jet Rodriguez. <laughs> From the Sandlot, I'm a baseball lover, so that's why I would watch that movie over and over again. But I would say that is the, that's a long story, but that will be the first crush I had. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I was not going to guess that. No. Sure. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So when you had spare time, not watching yeah. the Sandlot, not crushing yeah. over somebody, were you outdoors looking at bugs playing with plants are you doing little chemistry experiments at home i would say outdoors a lot because um i was always with my dad and my brother i was always outside so they um played baseball or football or something like that so i was always outside probably like playing in dirt and stuff like that and molehills and things like that so <laughs> I think even when I was younger, I got poison ivy. So, you know, I had to learn things quickly. Did you have a strong desire to do science? Because you were mentioning like sports beforehand. Yeah. Sports, then science? I think it was always a combination of both. Um, if you, I'm sure, been growing up in the 90s, there was some push for NASA for some reason, like space, everything. So I remember... I'm sure I had so many books on the constellations and space, the planets. So that was kind of my first introduction to science. I remember I never went to any type of space station or anything like that. But I noticed I gravitated toward that more. But I remember even thinking in my talks to my parents, it was like it was always like about space being younger. Even my younger niece, she like is into it. I'm like, oh, I was into this too. I do remember seeing a lot of commercials for space camp. Yeah, space camp, COSI, a lot of like camps, things like that. So yeah, I did go to a couple camps and things like that. But yeah, it was a, a big push to go into STEM very early on. Yeah, and if I was going to see Courtney maybe as an eight-year-old on the street, what would Courtney be like? I, I, would, I was a shy kid. Shy, but not shy. If I knew you, then I probably would talk to you. But I'm sure like said i've known ben since i was 12 years old um like we knew each other but we probably say hi but then probably wouldn't talk for another two days but then like hey talk again but i was definitely shy very curious would ask a lot of questions about why is this i remember i asked my mom of course like many kids asked why is the sky blue why the sun go away just simple things like that you're like very curious i think that's always the best thing in a anybody who wants to go into STEM or a science mind is curiosity. Why does this work the way this works? Absolutely. And I would think like that's a great skill to have in any field that you go into. And I think unfortunately we tend to beat that out of people. We do, unfortunately. <laughs> I remember it so for the listeners, Courtney and I went to high school together and I remember having Lots of science classes that I was naturally interested in, but those random questions weren't necessarily always welcomed. It was, you know, of we got a kind not. of agenda 
that, yeah. that we had to teach. But did that curiosity stick with you, though? Not enough to go away. Like I'm thinking like middle school, high school time. Not enough to go away. But like, um, I know, like you said, different things form your um, creativity over the while. So I know my like my dad was always in the lab. So that's why I was always interested in being in a laboratory setting with lab coats and different things like that. But my mom, she definitely was more on the financial side of things, but definitely a perfectionist. So I remember this is a small story of you know how being little, everybody would bring out the Valentine's Day cards, your grocery store, you write everybody's name on it. Not my mother. She, we had, you know, Windows 97, 95. We would print all of them individually with everybody's name on it, print all the envelopes on them and it, and then put them out. And I was, for a while, I was always the new kid growing up. So until third grade, I wasn't the new kid. So I would be the new kid with not doing things that everybody else did. It kind of, she kind of set me up to be doing things different. Like it was okay to be a little different if you wanted to go above and beyond. Also in a different way, that's not totally science, but her creative mind got me to think like, oh, okay, let's try this a different way. And then she's, I went with what she was thinking. I was like, oh, okay, everybody liked it. I didn't have to do what everybody else was doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the little 10% of innovation. You don't have to think of like this completely new invention. Yeah, so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. That's funny that you mentioned like your mom was really into financial stuff. Your dad is in the lab. I really feel like you're a product of your parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, even though my mom was definitely the... She's more fine. She works in payroll, but she definitely is the more crafty person. So I she would make anything turn like anything normal into extraordinary. I can only imagine her around a 3D printer. Oh, well, we would probably be making um, 3D models of homes at this point because it's all about real estate right now. But yeah. <laughs> Next Christmas, you know, you, you got to get. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So when we started being around each other in high school slash middle school, were you taking a lot of science classes? Like, were you because we had the advanced placement, the AP options. Did you take a lot of those? I didn't. But when, when you talked about, especially like, especially going into chemistry, weirdly enough, I was probably better in chemistry in college than high school. I don't know why my mind just could not understand moles. That's moles in the chemistry sense. So it's just a certain number of particles and amount of mass. It's not like cute, star nose moles i couldn't understand that at all in high school but for some reason when i got to college it made perfect sense but when you said like they didn't really put together why you had to learn this it was like okay you're now in chemistry learn this it's like okay what am i learning how is this supposed to i think um especially back then i don't think i knew the why i just knew what we were doing especially in the labs and stuff it was like okay you just have to do this so why it's just four. I don't think that's like the bridge that was the gap in between the two that wasn't there. Right. Yeah. I think we were probably taking chemistry when we were 15. And so they're explaining this really abstract concept of mole. And you're just like, what is a mole? Like, it's a mole. Yeah. I yeah. think in the same way where as soon as you started applying things, it started, things started to click. Cause I was, I probably shouldn't have been, I got friends to fill out the forms to do like the advanced math 
classes. They just like put my form in with theirs when they went up to the teachers to go, you know, to the next grade. And I was struggling in like pre-calculus and thinking like, I'm never going to use this math. But now I use statistics all the time and I love it. You all look at that. Look at the flip. (laughs) One out of 100 people who actually really like statistics. But it's like, yeah, applied math. Dig it. Um, All this hypothetical stuff. eh, I can do with that. Okay. I've waited long enough, but I'm really curious what you thought of me and who I was in high school. So we didn't, we weren't super close by any means, but I always remember you being like an absolute delight being around. Oh, and I was like, oh, yeah. Courtney was just like so positive and enjoyable. Um, every interaction I feel like I had with you was just always fantastic. Definitely. I think everybody loved Ben. Even when I, even when you showed up at the reunion, we just had our 10 year reunion. I was part of the planning committee. I do not recommend doing that for anybody. <laughs> you pulled it out though. It was great. They're great. But I think, uh, I was like, oh, Ben's here. It's like, oh yeah, it's always, you are not quiet, but always somebody to talk to. I think that's everybody. Like everybody at Walnut was like, you didn't really know them, but you like, oh, we're all in English together. So did you read? The paragraph we were supposed to read today? Oh, no, I didn't read. Okay, do you remember what that was about? That was always it. I think we always had like one or two classes together, but we, we, if we were in that class, we were always talking. Other than that, um, yeah, always yeah, always a good time around Ben. Always a good time. So when you asked me to do this um, podcast with you, I'm like, sure, I love Ben. Oh, great. Yeah, I'm glad like that. <laughs> it was a little bit of a risk asking that question, but I'm glad I got that response. Oh, yeah. Or at least you played it off really well. Yeah, we, you know, having an R versus an L last name, um, we were probably going to wind up in like the same spot in classes. Yeah, I same thing when I saw you at like the ten year anniversary. I was like, oh yes, like Courtney's here. Like I can't wait to like catch up and just see how you're doing. Yes. Which you know, doing this in long form too. It's, yeah, excuse <laughs> for us to like bond again. Like, oh, what have you been doing since you know 20, 2009? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, good question, Courtney. Um, <laughs> yeah, going off of that, like you, I believe after you graduated high school, then you went to University of Toledo. Right. Correct. Um, how was that transition for the southwest side of Ohio to the northwest side of Ohio? The transition, of course, um, uh, most people, of course, know that um, being from Walnut Hills, it was a college preparatory school, but... And it was campus-like, but being on a campus, even though um, University of Toledo was a smaller campus too, so it wasn't huge, but um, definitely was a transition to, I I think, just the not taking classes every day to actually learning what your schedule should look like. I think even when I look back to especially my freshman, my first two years, I should have not taken that much science classes the first two years. I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe I, I didn't even, I don't think I knew. Were you able to have a bit of a social life? Um, probably not until I got everything back together. But um, what helped definitely with like my core group of um, um, girlfriends. So we were all African-American women like in STEM that we're all kind of in those same classes, all back to back to back. And um, we kind of stayed close throughout that whole time. So most of our social time was going to the library, going to someone's apartment or something to study more, or, you know, it might be an all nighter tonight, but we're going to study. So 
we really didn't have much of a social life until probably my junior year. Yeah, it took a little while for me to get like really because <laughs> it was I had to get that schedule together. Yeah. Did it stay just as nerdy or did you expand to other things? So it didn't stay as like in the same building, at least because I know people, even when I look back, people like, I never knew you. It's like I was in that same building. So you probably didn't know me like all day long. So uh, definitely was nice to branch out to different classes. So because your college experience should be more well-rounded. You should not just be with the same people all the time. So I would, you know. Yeah, no, it did not stay that nerdy all the time. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. While you're in the library, though, um, did you have a certain spot? Like, oh, everybody does. Everybody does. But you know, when the library, fifth floor in the corner, you have to find me if I'm back there. Yeah, that was a spot in the library. Or, you know, especially if things aren't printing correctly, that'll throw you off. Especially if you needed to print is right away. Luckily, I think now you can go to like a little kiosk and they'll print right away. The bad thing, you had to log all the way in. Yeah. I like use, the use of like back then, like it was so long ago. And it's like, we're, we're 30. We're pretty young. Yeah. Back then it was like 2011. That was a while ago. <laughs> I'm still in school. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to say that I'm young. <laughs> you are. But that's good. Yeah. Didn't think I'd be here nor having a podcast uh, <laughs> or in Wisconsin or being 30 and still uh, earning $27,000 a year. Um, you know, life. Speaking of life too. So like when you, I think you graduated with a degree in biochemistry. Did you go and find a job immediately after that? Or did you explore? I did. So just biology. So, um, but I did, I did, um, I was in like the transition of, I didn't find a job right after school. So I did go straight into the workplace, but I know like around that time I was like, should I go into Epi? Should I go take more classes? So that's Epi as in epidemiology. So I like worked for, I don't want to say semester, but technically it was a semester. So right after I technically graduated in the summer of 14, technically, um, I worked fall 14. I walked in fall 14, but um, I went back to school in spring 15 because I really wanted to take more classes in um, public health. So public health is definitely way different than um, hardcore STEM. And anybody who has transitioned back and forth know it's way different. It's a lot more. <laughs> I did that. You did? <laughs> did. Well, did you start off in public health? I did, my undergrad was in neuroscience and biology, oh. master's uh, public health and epidemiology. Ooh. And I had a couple of years off doing AmeriCorps. I was a personal chef for like Look at half that. a year. And then I jumped back into grad school. And now I'm like doing kind of medical physics kind of stuff. Look at that. Uh, I've been telling people I'm not a radiologist, but I play one on TV. Well, yeah, so you understand, like, around that time, it was a huge, not push, but it was like, oh, Epi, you should really go into that field. It's very interesting. I was like, oh, okay. So I, like, took some more classes on that and um, wanted to dive more into that. But I know that push to go into grad school for Epi, I didn't have, I think, when I think about it, I didn't have, like, the real confidence that that's something I wanted to do. So I know if I if that's something I wanted to do, I would go back and do it. But at that time, I didn't. But I did go back to working again after that semester. But I did take more classes. I 
you know, college is weird. I took a class on um, parasitology. That was interesting. That was probably my favorite class I took in college. Weird. But um, the study of parasites where I could talk on and on about it. Interesting. But um, you, who knows if that will ever come back around in my life <laughs> to be a part of it. But I at least know like where they are, what they do and how they enter your body. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're making soaps now. Like you're helping prevent parasites. That is very true. That is very true. I appreciate that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Clean hands is um, definitely about public health is prevention. So clean hands are important. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did, so when you were uh, going back into the workforce, was that in Cincinnati? Yes. Did you feel like you wanted to be in Cincinnati? I know a lot of people think about moving. I never had a desire to move anywhere else. I never had a desire to move. I think whenever I feel like I want to leave, I knew when I left, I know a lot of people stayed here and went to UC, University of Cincinnati. I knew I didn't want to stay at UC. I knew if I would have stayed, I don't know, I would have stayed around the same friends, same everything and not try to branch out. And when I went to Toledo, I was like, well, that's close enough so I could at least meet some different people, which I did. And I got to like really have a sense of um, learning a new city. So if I'm ever in a situation where I'm in another city living, I know, okay, how you it really feels to be on your own, which I know a lot of people who stayed here don't really know how that feels. Like you're, there's nobody here for you. For you, you really have to figure out everything on your own. Absolutely. My dad, uh, when I was applying to colleges, um, you know, got into UC and he, and he was like, yeah, you can't stay in Cincinnati. That's what he said? Yeah. To get that experience of like being yeah. able to well, be completely independent uh, several times with family. And I don't think he was so worried about like friends, but I think a lot of a lot of my family members on my dad's side, when they were 18, moved to San Francisco or like moved to the Southwest. It was like, okay, it's your turn now. Right. So I went to the, the really far Western part of Indiana, uh, which is you know, <laughs> the same, you know, the same dynamic of San Francisco. Yeah. But it was still, you know, like you, uh, you know, two and a half hours away, Indiana university was two and a half hours away, um, enough to be separated, but close just in case anything happened. Uh, and a, and a chance to reimagine yourself. When you moved back to Cincinnati, did you reconnect to a lot of the people from Walnut or did you feel like you were, not, you know, a new version of yourself that you couldn't connect with the old people, but mm -hmm. did you feel like you had enough of time away to come back that you got to know yourself? I think I did. I, I think I wasn't the same. I don't know if I say was, wasn't the same person, but I did. I did connect with a lot of different people from Walnut, um, especially my friends and different things like that. So I know being back home, especially since, you know, um, since I changed from what, 2009 to 15. So. Yeah. Same thing. Like, so I lived in Indiana for six years and then Arkansas after that for one, then Wisconsin since. And each time I go back, it's like, whoa, there's this new road. There's this new road. There's a new restaurant on the corner. There's a, there's a hotel here now. <laughs> yeah. So in between like 2015 to 2000, when you're working on your soaps, were you, did you have a standard like nine to five scientist kind of position? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So I worked with um, different companies. So I worked at, 
I think I worked at PNG and Cal for a little while. Cal makes Jergens. So I worked a lot in the quality assurance department, different things like that. So definitely worked with um, different products. So I got a hands-on experience of different levels of science. So, you know, being in college, you're used to like mixing different chemicals together and different things like that. It's like, oh, there's another part of things that are like, after all it is all the uh, product is made, what happens after that? How does it get from the product is made to modeling to the inside the plant to out to the customers? That's a whole part of the job that I didn't think about. And I think that's the biggest part about I know you wrote this down somewhere about science where you don't know the intricate parts of things. You just know like, oh, I know the people in the lab, but there's like a whole bunch of other people that do a lot of more jobs. And you're like, oh, there's a whole bunch of jobs I don't know about that they didn't put in like the brochures or anything. So, <laughs> so did you start getting curious about like the... I guess the chain of like the product. Yeah. Yeah. When I was working those different jobs. So when I was at PNG doing work there, I was um, only there for a little while, but I worked in the paper goods department. So with um, different toilet tissues and tissue paper where I, you know, I don't really think about the raw material of that, but there was a raw material of tissue paper and how they were compared and contrasted to other companies and different things like that. And this is just toilet paper. And you don't think about, science behind that and like the the strength of it and the durability of things like oh there, there you can test all that like oh oh i think about tp strength i may play a radiologist on tv but i'm a nutritionist in the bathroom i.e like i eat a lot of fiber okay yeah so that's definitely part of the, the different supply chains and different um intricacies that of a one product that you don't think about when it goes from um, idea to um, packaging. And when did you start making your own products in this time? Yeah, so around 2017, I started to mess around with different soap combinations. So if um, definitely if you look up how to make soap, there's different formulas out there. But um, I knew around the time when I was doing different research, I knew there was a big push to not use palm oil because of how it's um, sourced. Not sort of sustainably um, um, acid deforestation. So, you know, think of like, okay, what different combinations can work together? So, I definitely threw it from 2017 to when I finally had my first pop up um, shop um, until in, the, in December 2018 is when I was working with different formulas, made a lot of mistakes doing that, you know, trial and errors. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that was the time where I was kind of working with different formulas, colors, scents, and different things like that, and definitely diving into the world of um, early perfumery. That was very interesting. Yeah. Did you have a moment that you thought, oh, this could actually be a business or people are like interested in this? Um, no, I didn't think of that. I, <laughs> I was, I, my first reaction is, I'm such a perfectionist that I'm like, oh, well, it's not perfect until I got other people to try it. It was like, oh, well, this is actually pretty good. It's like, okay. And then you kind of compare it to other soaps you're normally using like, oh, okay. No, this is something that people actually want. So I've had um, my family and friends kind of try it first, especially my family who have different um, skin problems with rosacea or um, psoriasis. 
definitely had them try it first and they didn't have a natural reaction to it, which I know, um, especially nowadays, everything natural has to be gluten, vegan, everything. So you think about all those things and people like to live a more of a clean lifestyle. So you think about all those things and they did enjoy it. So I, I didn't think of it being a business. I, I would say I was never a business mind. Me growing up would think I would get a job and that was it. I would never think of being creative or being an entrepreneur at all. That wasn't my goal at 16. Yeah. Did you, it sounds like you kind of accidentally started a business. Yeah. I, yeah. Accidentally started a business. I know um, at some point, I think my mom even challenged me. She said, well, if, can you create something? You're a scientist, aren't you? But I was like, okay, I guess I'll just start researching stuff. <laughs> you went to school all that time. Can't you do something yourself? I'm like, okay, I can, I can figure this out. You know, science is mine. Curious. I can figure this out. Basically, like you said, um, stumble upon um, different formulas, formula, formulations, formulations. There we go. Then you kind of went backwards from a business mindset. So you have the product now. Now it's how do you package it? How do you source the different raw materials for it? How do you um, even go do a pop up shop? How do you have? How do you even have an LLC and all those different things? It's like oh, I don't never thought I would ever register a business name. So <laughs> those are rooms I never thought I would be asking people for. I'm I'm normally okay. Where's the lab coat? And that's all I need to know. <laughs> Yeah. Someone brings me the materials to work with. Yeah. I don't have to like actually do everything from conception to the end. That wasn't my first thought at all. So yeah, I definitely did stumble to into a business. Yeah. Are you full-time doing your own business or are you still working like uh, for a company on the side? I'm still working. So yeah, I'm doing both at the same time. But I think it's best. Best in the sense of when you're at your job, you're kind of looking at processes and seeing things, how they do it. I'm like, oh, these are things that I could take from there. Or how can I, this process be better? How many hours do you think you work a week then combined with like regular full-time job and, and your hustle? Oh, uh, this, and I don't stop. So like you say, like we said before we started, you're always reading emails. You always have to respond to people, you know, things you don't want to do, but you know, oh, if I don't do it now, I'm going to forget about it. So <laughs> yeah, probably it's, it's a ongoing thing. Definitely. It's like, it's no set time limit for it. Really. It's really a, okay. You, well, you should set a time that you're actually on and off. But if you're really being realistic, there's really not a time that one starts and one ends. Right. Have you found a good way to balance like having a personal life or ways to recharge in addition to working like 70 to 80 hours a week? <laughs> I wish I did. I'm a Scorpio. So I'm very like determined and focused. So if there's something on my mind I have to do, I have to get it done or I just can't do anything else. But um, that's probably why I named my company Minor Obsession because Scorpios are known to be very obsessive people. But um, I'm learning to like not be um, to have some fun because I don't do that <laughs> often. But you should like I definitely. Um, I'm a Jeep owner, so that diving into that world of, of Jeep owners is a, definitely a way to relax because that's a whole other world. I 
like a club I basically joined to be a part of. Um, but you should find something what other hobbies outside of, even though technically your business is your hobby, that still is a business. It's a job. You have to find something else that really is taking you to leisure. So definitely being a Jeep owner and being part of that club and finding people that just wants to talk about Jeeps and different things like that is definitely um, beneficial. Where do you produce all your soap? Do you have a designated facility or is it at home? It's at home now. So yeah, that's cool. And do you feel like you ever get lonely from doing all the business work? No, my mom helps me out a lot financial side, but, um, lonely. No, but I probably need to give up some responsibility, especially when people ask me like, Oh, I'll do something. Like, even like when you're shipping, you have to like order boxes, put the boxes together, take the boxes, like little parts of the things that you don't really think about all the intricate work of things. Like I probably need to give up some work where I'm in my mind, I'm thinking of, okay, I have enough time to do this. I got enough time to do that. And it took me all day to do something where I could have divvied out some tasks to some people that's asking, but yeah, no, it doesn't get lonely. Um, especially if you kind of, um, if I think if you enjoy what you're doing, it doesn't get lonely because you know exactly how is it supposed to look? You can see it in your hands, you know, what it's supposed to look like, smell like. So that's how I know, like when um, I send out my product to every person, like I knew I touched every, um, so every box, every tape. So I know exactly what it's supposed to look like when they get it. Do you see yourself hiring any employees anytime soon? I don't know if anytime soon, but I definitely probably should take a volunteer. But um, but I definitely would like to um, even teach people how to make soap. I know even when I, I started making soap, my grandfather would tell me, oh, because um, they're all from Mississippi. They um, migrated here to um, Ohio in the 1950s. So um, they said they used to make soap back then. I'm like, oh, well, why wasn't this something that was passed down? Of course, um, America, big budget things. Things got very easy to just get from the store. So that's just a, a talent that got lost. But I would love to even start teaching classes of people how to make soap. But like, it's not that hard, especially when the pandemic happened, things were gone. Um that's when people were looking to me like, oh, you have soap? Oh, I didn't know. Now it's essential to have soap and to be a soap maker. So that's something I definitely want to do is start teaching classes on how to make soap. Do you have inspiration for your soaps? Inspiration. Um, Let's see. So, okay. My golden hour soap was definitely, it's called golden hour um, because it's yellow. And I um, it's from like a dye of a nettle seeds that I um, soak in um, olive oil, well, avocado oil. But that one, I want it to smell like, smell like like a sweet, fruity smell. So with each, when we think about um, me and my mom, we kind of go back and forth and think about how we want a soap to smell like. We definitely think about with any type of perfumery, top note, middle note, base note, and how all those complement each other. So um, when you go through the dynamic of all those things, do so they mix well together? And um, you kind of go from there. So... With that particular soap, we wanted to um, include patchouli and grapefruit in it. And like, okay, what kind of complements those things? So we kind of go from there and kind of map out how we want to move forward. So we think of the different clays that's in that soap, how we want it to feel. Is that for someone who has um, 
very sensitive skin because it has higher um, notes of langlang in it and grapefruit in it. Maybe somebody who's extra sensitive, maybe that's somebody that's not for them. That's why we have a gentle oatmeal soap for people who are more sensitive because it doesn't have any essential oils in it. So we kind of use that type of inspiration when we think about creating a soap from its um, inception. Okay. So, and you've got a variety of soaps at this point. Yeah. Do you have a, a creative plan that you have to create new soaps? Well, I, I definitely wanted to, you know, curious person of me. I wanted to go into liquid soap making afterwards. <laughs> I heard the process is a little similar, but just a little different. You just use a different chemical to make it. Well, all of our soaps, because they're with, made with um, natural oils, or should they work well with any type of skin type, if, whether you have very sensitive skin or not. Um, but definitely, if you know you have very, um, very sensitive skin that's sensitive to any type of fragrance, we do have a soap that doesn't have any essential oils in them. I realize a lot of people, when they think about bar soap, they for some reason, they think it's germs in bar soap and not liquid um, because it's staying there. But no, bar soap is definitely clean. Is there a better chance to scale your business too if you did liquid soaps? Yes, because um, one thing that people don't know about um, handmade soap making is that the bars have to cure. So after uh, I just made some soap today, actually. So after that soap has hardened enough to cut, it has to be on the shelf for a month. So all the extra um, liquid is evaporated out of the soap. So it has to cure for about a month. Some people let their soaps cure for about eight weeks. So it's nice and hard to use. So it lasts a lot longer. And because of that slow process, liquid soap will probably be faster to scale. You're able to use it right afterwards instead of um, bar soap where it takes a little longer. Yeah, I had no idea. That's really interesting. Are there any other like fun facts about soap making that you think just people are completely unaware of? <laughs> um, well, with traditional soap making, you do use lye. Um, you do use a, like a lye mixture combination. Um, one, one of the failures I have with making soap is like I said, it's a um, chemical formula. So, um, it uses the right amount of lye to turn the oils into soap. So if that calculation is off, everything is off. So I've made a batch of soap that it never solidified at all. It stayed a liquid and that was fun. Um, I've made a, <laughs> I made a batch of soap where it completely got the lye calculation was off and it was a little more lye than it should have been. That means all the oils turned into a solid and it was hard as a rock. So that wasn't, it, I barely got, even got out my mold. So it never cut at all. I couldn't even break it. So yeah, so those, those are the interesting facts. That's why it's definitely, it's almost like if you compare it to, you say you were a chef, so compare it to baking. If things are off, this is not going to turn out correctly. And <laughs> so that's the, I guess that's the fun part about it, that you, even though you're doing the same thing over and over, something might turn out different this time. When you make soap, it makes natural glycerin soap, natural soap making. So that's a natural byproduct of um, soap making. I've seen that in ingredients lists for many different things. Do you do anything with that? Um, it's just in the soap. So it adds more moisture into the soap. So it's a natural byproduct of just the natural soap making. So when you see glycerin and like different things, they add it to the different things like that. And also, I guess another fun fact about soap making, most soap that's in the stores is not actually soap. It's probably, it says specifically like a beauty bar or something because they're adding other type of 
gentler detergents to help clean different things, but it's not actually handmade soap. I would imagine like the handmade soap is probably more gentle. Yeah, it is like natural cleaning. But like since we like went over the process, if I'm a company and I want to get out soap faster and it takes four weeks for you to even use it, I need a faster way how to make that. So they kind of like most companies do cut corners in order to do that. So they figure out how to get that to the consumers faster. So it's probably take out all of the other oils and stuff and make a natural detergent with some gentler things. So it's able to get to the customers faster. So I'm curious about once you get a volunteer or let a volunteer <laughs> yeah. come in or an employee is like, is there, do you want to be a specific type of boss or leader? I definitely want to be somebody who is always encouraging people to think outside the box. Cause I think Whenever I'm around somebody, they're always pushing me to think outside the box. Think of think of ways to kind of improve something, and I always kind of figure out how to do it. I don't. <laughs> I think I think even you can uh, relate to like somebody will give you a, a problem or a task, and you're like, I have no idea where this answer is coming from. But I'm. But eventually, you start putting two and two together, and you're like okay, I, know, I can figure out how to do this. And like, especially by hand, it's like it's a different thing. You can go to a company or something, but if you're doing it by hand, it feels extra special that way. And then where do you want to see like the business go? Do you, do you want to eventually sell it? Do you think you'd want to keep working on it for a couple of years? I think I will. Yeah. I think I will want to keep working on it for a couple of years, especially um, like, um, I guess it first started off with, okay, are you going to go to grad school? Or are you going to start this business? <laughs> One, the two, and let's kind of figure out like, well, if I start this business, it was like, okay, especially I think the type of job I wanted, I don't think I was getting right out of um, college. So, you know, do the job that you want, basically, especially at that time period, you know, if people aren't giving you the opportunities that you're looking for, you kind of have to create them yourself. So I was like, okay, how do you um, start a business on your own? You figure out how to do it. How do you have a product on your own? You figure out how to start that. And um, so now I have real world experience on my own that um, I didn't have to get anywhere else. So I think that was definitely important for me for that transition. But I would definitely want to work on it for a couple of years, even if I had to do it um, full time, um, sell it. Um, still, I, I, different people have asked me that question and I'm like, ah, I know as a person, it's like, oh, it's my baby. I don't want to sell anything, <laughs> but, um, I think I would want to like run my own warehouse of people. It would depend on, you know, if it would get that far, but I would think I would want to, like you said, hire definitely people, get people into the, um, mode of soap making and making things from scratch. And I would probably want to do things as far as I could that way. Yeah. Yeah, I thought about like for me, the podcast, one thing I am landing on is all the episodes will be free and anything that can be used for educational purposes or like give back to the world will always be free. So I'm imagining maybe with the soaps too, if you really like teaching people, it's like you could have free classes, invite them in and then also sell soaps on the side or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You never know, Ben. You might turn to a scientific journalist out <laughs> somewhere and like your career changes again. <laughs> I would not imagine this has opened so many doors to kind of like choose your own adventure in life, which is really exciting and also terrifying in some ways. 
for me, it's just like I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants and I'm hoping this is the right decision. I'm hoping it is, but I'm, I'm sure you have like people, people are telling you like, no, this, you're doing a great job. You should keep doing this. It's like, am I, am I doing a great job? I didn't see this for myself. This is kind of was like a experiment I did on myself. It's like, okay, you, um, you want a specific job. You didn't go to school for it and you try to apply for that job, but it didn't happen. So, okay, you do that job on yourself and it's like, oh, people like it. Didn't see that happening. So, okay, let's just keep going with it since people like it so much. And then especially like now people want me to start talking about myself, which I'm, I'm like, you know, from high school, I wasn't that much of a talkative person. So now I have to talk about myself, my journey, how I grew up. So that's definitely interesting. People want to know about my journey. So now I'm like the person that I've listened to so many podcasts for. I've, I've listened to so many entrepreneurs and podcasts listen to them talk about their journey. I'm like, now I'm that person. <laughs> this is weird. Yeah. Do you, yes. Do you see yourself ever being, I don't know if you listen to like how I built this. Yes. How I built this is a podcast and book by Guy Raz in the NPR team, which guy, I think I'm coming for your job now. Okay. Have you imagined yourself on that podcast being interviewed? I, I cannot imagine. No, no, I haven't. I, like you said, the life turns you in so many different ways. You wake up one day and you get an email from Ben saying, can you do their podcast? So you never know how, and it always kind of stems from one thing to the next. Like you saw me in that article from one of the women of Cincinnati. They saw me in something before. And it's like all, all these different things. Weirdly enough, um, I did a a Christmas pop-up shop in um, Cincinnati, Ohio, um, 2019. I think it was right after all of our reunion. And a guy came up to my um, booth, wanted to smell my soap, especially our charcoal soap, because um, it has um, vetiver and different things. It has a deeper smell to it. So he smelled it, he bought it, and different things like that, and followed me on Instagram and everything. I'm not thinking anything of it. Then, like, a couple of weeks later, no, it wasn't until like when the pandemic happened and they were, you know, making sure small businesses get their just due and different things like that. I'm in an article in Epicurious. I'm like, how did I get an article in Epicurious in, in New York? How is this even possible? They don't know who I am. That was the guy from that particular pop-up shop, like what, six months ago. Uh, recommended me to be in that article. I'm like, oh, just different things kind of have their way of um, streamlining from one thing to next. That's why it's, it's always really enough. You kind of have to put your ideas out there, no matter how outlandish or it doesn't seem like one should flow from the other. I was a bio major. Now I'm a soap maker. That doesn't seem like my favorite class was in parasitology. Doesn't really seem like that flows into being an article in Epicurious, but here I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Did you have like, um, yeah, just some of the stuff you're saying was like resonating with me so much. Like the first time you were probably offered money for one of your products, were you thinking like, you want to like buy this? Like, are you sure? All the time when people say like, oh, I really love your packaging. I like how you had things fonted. And I'm, I'm going back and forth on that all the time. Like, am I sure about this? So I like the graphics I did on this and I'm doing everything myself by hand. Cause you know, I haven't given up, you know, restraints <laughs> on things. And I'm like, are you sure I'm not the best graphic designer, but I can teach myself how to do some things. And like, yeah, you want money for this. And 
then more people keep wanting money for it. Like, okay, now you're thinking more business minded. Okay, what are my profit margins? Are they correct? And like, okay, this is something I was not thinking about. Like we said in 2017, when I first started making so profit margins, that wasn't even a thing I was thinking about. But now that's important. And your website and your online presence. And can people find you? Do you um, telling your story? Because your story is important for people to resonate with you. Right. And I, I just feel like more and more, you're like, oh, here's another thing that I definitely need to know about. And I had no clue or thought that I'd ever be in this. No, like you said, I thought I was going to be working, not thought, you know, back then, especially in what, 2004 to nine, it was just, you work a job because that's what our parents did. Jeanette's did. They worked the job. They were there for forever. And then you retired. You got all these benefits from them. And then you, when we got out of college, we slowly saw like, yeah, the world's not like it was like 10 years ago. So I'm gonna have to figure something out. But then at that time, um, you know, YouTube became a thing. Then you saw people being more creative became a thing. It's like, oh, okay, well, how do I take my interests in science, basically, <laughs> into different things? It's like, I'm not a, a, a comedian. I'm not a person that does skits. But there is now the world is becoming more open to tur- turn your interests into actual revenue. Well, before it gets too late, I want to go on to our game. And so before I tell you exactly what we're going to do, I need some suggestions from you. Okay. Uh, So first I need an adjective. Funny. Funny. Okay. An animal. A dog. Uh, An annoying behavior someone might do. Grind their teeth. Uh, Naturescape like a forest or a beach beach then i need an emotion aloof very nice very nice uh sport let's say ultimate frisbee okay uh celebrity oh mill street and uh like a life milestone getting married oh let's say get married all right so our game because we are both young and budding entrepreneurs we're going to try to sell um, a new product. And because you're making soap, we're going to be selling new soaps. And based on your suggestions, we're going to try to make sales of a new soap uh, that incorporate these suggestions. Um, I can go first. So the first soap that I'm going to try to sell, um, and I'll probably, you know, I'll try to do this in, in like 30 seconds, a minute or something like that. This is a new soap that infuses the oils of funny dogs. Look at that. <laughs> I have to sell that. Um, <laughs> okay, so here it goes. Courtney, I'm sure most of the time you've heard people really distastefully describe the smell of wet dog. But I'm here to tell you that there's a subcategory of Americans that are always wanting to smell like wet dogs. And not just any wet dogs, funny wet dogs. It's those Labradors that miss getting the ball and then fall into the pool. It's the pugs that thought they were safely on a dock and then fall in. And you extract them, they make you laugh. And then by having the oils of these funny wet dogs in this soap, 
you can always remember those fun memories that you've seen both on YouTube or in your life. So I hope you will buy this new soap. That was so good, Ben. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Please feel free to take any of these new soaps and try to make it happen. Um, I don't think Funny Wet Dog will really, really sell. Okay. Are you ready for your soap? Let's try it. Okay. So your soap, you're going to be trying uh, to sell a soap that conjures the image of an ex grinding their teeth on a beach. Okay. So Ben, when you think about a soap and you think about, you know, things that make you feel good and feel better, you think about, you know, the waves of the beach and stuff like that, but this is not any soap. This is a soap that it's not going to make you irritated like that ex did when he grinded his teeth. You're going to think about something about that will get the sand away, that reminds you of grinding teeth from that irritated ex that would grind his teeth. So you want a soap that will cleanse away, that smells like the beach. So we have here with the sweet smells of uh, lavender and um, seaweed. Very lavender nice. and seaweed that will surely take your ex's um, annoyances away from you. I'm in. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So my soap to sell, I have to make a soap that makes you feel aloof after winning a round of ultimate Frisbee. Wow. <laughs> okay. Here we go. So oftentimes when you win a game, you feel proud of yourself, but that's not always the case. I know I've had some times where I've won a game, but I felt like I just didn't play my best. And I was going off by myself and I didn't want to go celebrate with my team. I was really feeling aloof. And sometimes those moments are really reflective and you know, let you know how you could have improved, how you can be a better version of yourself. So I've created this new soap that it is a mix of grass stains so it's colored nice and green and also that it is infused with the tears of children to make you feel (laughs) a little off but hopefully pause and reflect a little bit of discomfort here and there is okay and this is why we also put in hot chili peppers too so when you wash it is really uncomfortable but it is a time for you to feel alive too as you are distancing yourself from reality look at that yeah listening back on that we'll see if that makes any sense but okay <laughs> okay you're the final soap your next soap is a new soap that is inspired by watching meryl streep finally get married here we go so we've seen meryl streep throughout the years and we've seen her from romantic comedies to you know, just romance, but we never seen her truly get married. But with this new soap, it infuses the smells of wedding bells and, you know, sarcasm that Meryl Streep has. <laughs> so if you're looking for that um, beautiful soap on your wedding day, who wouldn't want to, you know, smell like Meryl Streep? Who wouldn't want to? Because she has the right amount of fun, um, wit, 
and humor that everyone needs, you know, when they decide to get married. I, okay, I'll remember that. I'll try. I will try if I ever get married to remember to smell like Meryl Streep. You know, I'm sure it'll, it'll make the wedding better. She's she's always so fun. <laughs> also, do you think the smell of sarcasm would be something like tart cherries? I feel like it has to be. It has to be tart. It can't. It can't be. It can't be sweet. It has to, you know, take take the sweetness away because it's as it smells like it's going to be sweet, but then it can't be. Like pulling the rug out under you. That's what it has to smell like. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you work on getting that smell of pulling the rug underneath you. We'll check in to see how that goes. Okay. But Courtney, I appreciate you being on here and chatting about your life and soap. Um, I'm really excited to watch your adventure and oh, I'm glad we could kind of reconnect and hopefully we'll stay connected. Of course. Well, thank you for inviting me. I was nervous when this all first started, but definitely through all your questions, talking to an old friend made it um, easier <laughs> to do a podcast, my first podcast. So yeah. definitely, yes. So I am excited and um, I'm, I'm glad to have this conversation with you. It was definitely so much fun. Thanks for listening to Deeper Than Data. Neat that solid soap takes time to cure, right? Now you can brag to your friends that you have aged soap. If you want to get your dirty little hands on some soap, you can find Courtney's business, Minor Obsession, at minorobsession.co. So minorobsession.co, C-O. And you can follow Minor Obsession on Instagram at minor.obsession. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell your coworker who's always telling you interesting facts. You can say, you'd be a goof not to listen to Deeper Than Data. It might work, but it would certainly help. Deeper Than Data was produced and created by me, Ben Rush. Music by me, Ben Rush. The extremely helpful cogs in the podcast machine are Jevin Lorty and Lauren Trader. Until next time, be well. Or that you'll think you'll... Or that they didn't really... Or that they... What? What the hell did I write? Or that they... What? What the hell did I write? Or that they... What? What the hell did I write? He had a red line. He... No! Oh, yeah, no!